welcome to episode 58 of Talking with Painters, where Australian painters talk about their lives in art. I'm Maria Stolger, and my guest today is Natasha Walsh. Natasha is one of Australia's most exciting emerging artists. I'm recording this in 2018, and a few months ago, over a period of about 12 weeks, she won three prestigious art awards. She's also been a finalist in the Archibald Prize for the last three years in a row with stunning self-portraits. And to top it all off, she's only 24. But the road to this success has not been smooth. Experiencing dyslexia as a child, she struggled both academically and socially in her early years and had to learn strategies to fit in. There's also been an intermittent struggle with depression and she speaks openly about those experiences and how they've impacted her fascinating self-portraits. Painting on canvas has never really interested her. She's more interested in transforming materials into ideas, and those materials have ranged from wax and copper to marble. Natasha displays a wisdom beyond her years, and it was great to meet her. By the way, if you hear any background noise or bumping of the microphone, it'll probably be Arthur, Natasha's beautiful cocker spaniel, who was keeping his company on the couch. All the works we talk about are on the website talkingwithpainters.com. Natasha grew up in Sydney's Neutral Bay, and we start this interview with her talking about her influences of art as a child. You know, my earliest experiences of art were, funnily enough, going to, like, Brett Whiteley's studio. That was one of the first... That was the first artist studio I went to when I was in junior school. And I just remember, like, because... um, I just remember seeing his work and it kind of reinforcing my idea of what art could be, of what art was, which is that there are no limitations. Like, I never grew up thinking that an artist was just a painter. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I thought of artists as just creative thinkers mm. that communicated non-verbally and non, you know, what's the word for not not writing, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, my, you know, like I remember just when I was very, very, very young, um, you know, I so I was, I am, I'm quite dyslexic. Um, and, you know, that's only relevant in terms of understanding that growing up, reading and writing were inaccessible to me like growing up until I was like 12 and and then and so how did that affect you when you're at school so yeah exactly I um I I just couldn't um you know for example the whiteboard it just everything would be moving around I couldn't engage with it so I'd find it much more interesting to stare out the window and make up my own stories Mm. you know like I I found it much more interesting to disengage and entertain myself in my brain Mm. and so um and you know then but you know my earliest memories of when I could engage were with visual things you know were with you know drawings or or Mm. paintings and and then I would do something and I could get a response from my peers which I couldn't with reading and writing like with with reading and writing I was always taken away to like the special group Mm. that's why creativity was amazing for me because you know my brain kind of worked differently in the sense that and this was growing up you know like obviously I got over the reading and especially when I understood that reading opened up worlds and so that was then a, a, a an avenue for creativity that really motivated me to get over oh. the the reading disability because yeah. I could I was like oh, I really want to access this you know I really want to I really want to mm. experience those 
those worlds mm. and because that was like what I did when I was looking so, out the window like right. and and so um so was yeah. so does that mean that at an early age so during your early schooling years you were interested in drawing and um sort of expressing yourself in that way um n- not even just drawing um you know making things with cardboard with with I, I remember I, I used to have um you know, some of my stories, I'd, I'd create them, like, and they'd last for months. Like, I'd literally have a story and I'd put a bookmark in it in my brain with, with things, with props and toys and things. Like what sort it, of story? Um, oh, like uh, epic battles across the living room and the lounge room. And sometimes that was another way that I could engage with people because I'd invite friends over. Yeah. Because, like, I, I could have individual conversations. Like, I could relate to people. It was more the social mechanics of... There were all these rules that people mm. had when they were in groups and I didn't understand any of them. Mm. So that's what I found difficult. But when I got, like, when I spoke to people individually, there were less of those kind of uh, rules, yes. which I didn't understand. And I, do, I don't mean to, like, talk about this. Like, it's not really... It's, I suppose it's just because it formed my kind of appreciation for creativity, creative thinking and art, because, you know, I'd invite them over and I'd play the story out in front of them. Mm. And, like, I loved how engaged I could be with them through my work. Mm to talk about um national art school because you went there after school did you enjoy it it was like hogwarts like starting there. <laughs> it really was it was like i it, that yeah. was when i felt like i could finally be free because like at at school like in high school especially like you know atar and st- you know all that the, those assessments it's kind of like think inside the box mm. that's what they tell like you're supposed to give them the answer they're looking for mm. and I just don't understand that yeah so yeah. At, and at at um and NAS it was like finally I had permission to think outside the box mm. especially you know like what you have to understand is NAS is not a place where you go where you like at the beginning yes you know you do get some kind of instruction on drawing and stuff but I mean I could already draw like uh, that sounds really arrogant but I could like it was yeah, it was yeah. just kind of um because I it was but you know it's you know they do give you some instruction on basic you know materials and stuff and like in terms of if you're doing printmaking or if you're doing sculpture or if you're doing ceramics you know they, they do have that and the art history and but what I love about NAS is that it's um actually about thinking which is especially, you know, it's it's about challenging way of thinking and enriching that and mm. giving you the background in art history mm. and theory. And also, you know, in the painting department, it's really not like painting isn't painting oil paint on canvas. Painting is is almost whatever you think it could be. It's not really about, you know, the kind of instruction that you'd get if you go to some other universities. It's more about being a creative thinker and problem solver mm-hmm. and so like some of you know I had for example you know one of my peers at NAS she was making paintings with found objects which she was kind of creating these kind of amazing um you know installations on a wall like you know so yeah. it, it was and that was encouraged do yeah. you know what I mean it wasn't yeah. I mean I, I you know I know some other friends who went to other places which you know other institutions and they're very different where you actually get told how to paint or whatever but Mm. that's not NAS at all it's like which I felt really I felt at home there and I was able to kind of because that's what I've told you it was that was always my motivation I've never seen myself as a painter and that's why I picked the painting department because I I wanted to think that way I wanted like to help I wanted to be in that space but that was encouraged yeah 
what's really been implemented in my work is my own personal research when I was at NERS mm. because, you know, there was no, none of the artists were working in wax or resin or, or copper. Like, and, and that's, that's in line with my nature. I like to experiment and I like to teach myself and I like to find um, new ways of doing things mm. or at least ways that I, like, I'd like to just, um, it's, it's so like I was never, so, but basically the way I learnt to paint, if that's what you call what I do, which I'm not even sure you can because, you know, working with blowtorches and hot irons isn't, like, your typical paint, like, or, yeah. you know, mixing... Well, I suppose your Archibald portraits are paintings. Yeah, I suppose, but, yeah. but when you look at the process behind it, like, I'm, I'm mixing pigments and oil, like, I, I, feel, I feel like an alchemist, like, I'm mixing these things, these materials from scratch, you know, pigment so is dust use, so for you better So you don't word. use paint from a tube? No, no, not with the copper work, because the copper, because the thing is, I'm not with the actually, wax I work should, either. I should actually just preface that with saying that, yeah, yeah that you've, um, you often work on uh, copper support, so you use With copper. the self-portraits, which is my yeah. current work, so it's yeah. funny because the, the work I was doing at NAS was the, the, the wax and resin work I started to develop in my honours year, um, and it's funny because I started to get recognition for that and then the work shifted into the copper and now that's what people kind of recognize me for at the moment because that's what I'm working with at the moment mm. but the work in copper like it's it's um it's really not painting I don't see it as painting because I'm mixing pigment which is like dust particles and oil and I'm applying it to the copper surface and um, what draws me is how it reacts to the oxidization of the material and I've come to these materials through my own experimentation and through my own process and you know no one told me about the copper no one told me about the wax I came to these because like with the wax I was I was holding my grandfather's hands when he was dying in hospital and I remember his the feeling of his skin his hands they were like parcels wax parcels they were so Mm -hmm. fragile and translucent and I just wanted a material that could evoke that in my work and so Mm -hmm. then I started brainstorming and I thought of wax I want to take you to this year. I want to jump forward to this year because, you know, about three months ago, you um, you were mining your own business. You know, you're sort of you're a finalist in the Archibald Prize, but you then had a spate of wins of um, art prizes, mm-hmm. and so you, you firstly won the the Kilgore Art Prize in Newcastle. And then the Brett Whiteley Travelling Art Scholarship a few weeks later, and then less than three weeks later, the Mossman Art Prize. Yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty amazing experience. How did you? How did you find that? Um, honestly, I just um, it's it's funny you put into so many of these things. Like I've been putting into things for many. I know it doesn't sound like it, but many years now, if you can count, like seven years many years I don't know is that many years yeah but um, yeah, I've been yeah. putting into things for I'll oh, say so you mean applying if yeah, and, like putting, and yeah. you put yourself out there a lot and you just get a lot of rejections um, yeah. and I was just happy I'm always just happy to be a finalist in those things yeah. so like you never I never put in to one of I never put something into a prize with the intention of I want to win this it's always actually especially with the Archibald it's always about trying to engage with the audience because when you think about it, those prizes, they draw people in to see the work. 
and yeah. that was what drew me like yeah. the Archibald in particular because there's so many people that just go to see that exhibition that don't go to see anything else yes so it's an yeah. interesting platform to present work and to test work mm. especially when you think of some of the judges that you get for different some of these different awards you know those are artists and you know art writers or whatever who you know or curators who you respect and mm. and so it's a way of getting your work to be seen by them and to kind of yeah. test it yeah. yeah so that's always my goal so we'll, so coming to like yeah it's just it's just kind of insane because um <laughs> I don't even know how to respond like the 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 it's funny because they have different ways of doing things um so like it and it's just funny because um you know the Brett Whiteley they told me 20 hours or something before I um went on the day and that was really good oh so you had been given warning that you just 20 hours right (laughs) (laughs) Um, and and it was an opportunity to like really um digest it which was really nice yeah Um, well that's a great award to get because it includes a three-month um sort of residency in paris yeah yeah in the studio there what are you planning to do there have you got any plans as to what how you're going to spend the day i'm just oh it's so it's so funny um i'm like Mm, it's a bit early to like say it out loud but I've been slowly forming it in my brain because it's kind of complicated because my work was shifting at the end of last year again and by shifting I don't mean I'm going to leave any of the stuff that I've been doing because there's so much time that I've invested in developing those processes and techniques that that would just be insane Mm. but it's more that um yeah the creative bug that led me to jump from the wax to the copper It, it it was happening again at the end of last year and I was I was pushing it back because I didn't think I could do it because um, that's always a problem when you're kind of, when you when I'm driven to, to do something, to explore something new. It's exciting because I love learning and experimenting, but it's scary at the same time because um, it's, uh, you know, you don't quite know if it's the right way of doing it. You don't know if you're a bit, you don't know if you're just being delusional. Like mm. when I started with the copper work, I didn't know if that would work. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's easy yeah. in hindsight to, so anyway, I was, and also I didn't know if I had the funds to, to do this new work because I knew it needed serious investment in order to make it happen. Right. And I just don't have any money. <laughs> like yeah. I rely, I rely completely on family support, my mom. Um, but the few weeks before the Kilgore, before I found out about the Kilgore, I, um, I just realized I had to, had to find a way of funding the next work because it was just weighing on me so much and it was just exacerbating, you know, I, I was I was, I was was struggling with depression already and it just exacerbated that because I was trying to avoid doing something that I felt I needed to do, um, but I was kind of worried that I was... Um, that it was maybe a response to the depression that I needed to do this new thing. And I don't want... Mm. I don't think your work should ever be a response to that. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I, that's like saying a midlife crisis is a good idea. Do you know what I mean? You should, it, sh- it should always be, like... I feel like it should be because the idea is good is a good one. So my depression, I don't know if it arises from or is exacerbated by, but when I'm creatively suppressing something it gets really bad because it's like um I don't know it's like a part of you just becomes really that's why that's why I don't think I could not be myself because I think that the depression would get really bad like because Mm. it's like it's like you're 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 fighting yourself you know you're fighting who you need to be what you need to do Mm. and and when and when you need to do something like when you're 
when you're creative and it's your it's your lifeblood like it's really hard to to say no to that to say no to that and and so I mean but you know obviously it wasn't so that exacerbated the depression but I mean I and I don't always have depression like the last time I had it was when I was 14 but when I get it it's like taking it's like I'm treading water and then I just can't tread water anymore because I'm tired and of treading water and it's like then you just sink and you just keep sinking and there's this peace in doing that there's this peace in kind of in what's the word um surrendering Mm. to that deepness Mm. and that quietness but it gets so dark and when you realize that there's no bottom that it just keeps going Mm. and that's that's when you know I you know you try and go the other way and but that that takes so much more energy to to swim up than it does to just float Mm. and how do you swim up how do you find what sort of techniques do you um, use to I, I I think it's it's about um for me it's it's about controlling the thinking it's about you know reinforcing positive thinking and it's also um finding a purpose Mm. um and that's usually the work you know finding Mm. something that's that gives me a sense of purpose and Mm. that it's a purpose that's not just coming from me that it's like it's being reinforced by like that it's not a purpose that it's it's how we affect other people do you know what I mean like I, I so find getting a response, for example, from your work is that does that help? Yeah, yeah, and 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 um, because I think that like I'm, yeah, I don't think I think everyone's the same. To be honest, like you're happy not because you know things are just you, your happiness. I feel like it does come from how much we kind of affect others. Do you know what I mean? And how mm. we like whether it's our friends or our peers or. Mm. And, and for me, it's, um, you know, I just, the depression stems from when I have th- thoughts like, you know, is this all there is that we just kind of get up and eat mm. and go to sleep and get up and eat and go to mm. sleep? Like, this is just so pointless and, until we, and we keep, you know, aging and, and getting more frail and frail until we just die and then it's pointless that's Mm. when the depression gets worse Mm. when it feels Mm. like it's just there's no meaning there's no meaning there's no there's Mm. no point to it and Mm. and um but I think you're right I think connecting with others is a huge Mm. step to getting out of that sort of space completely completely and um and yeah it art is art is a means for me to connect with more people than I can personally touch do you know what I mean Mm, like it's mm. just a method of doing that Mm. and yeah I don't know because yeah the depression thing's complicated though because obviously you know there were other things that kind of that kind of spiraled it like there are things that cause it and then it just gets worse and then Mm. it just coincided with the fact that my work was shifting so that just made it like even worse yeah yeah it it can't be just simple you can't be simplistic about it yeah yeah Yeah. Uh, so so that so winning those prizes must be a great um you know uh injection of of sort of positivity for you yes definitely i mean it like i i put it in perspective like it's um you know it's 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 wonderful and it's positive but you know you've like it's it's also like so it's a mixture of resilience hard work and a bit of luck because you know 
you can't account for the fact that that particular judge liked your work. So what are the odds that like more than one judge liked <laughs> your work? Right. Like yeah, you don't yeah. use that as a kind of as a means of saying okay, like you're on the right track because like you know that means that when you're being rejected, you're on the wrong track, which isn't necessarily true. It's just yeah. the individual judge. Yeah. And so you, I think it's healthy to put these prizes in perspective and to just think of it as those those particular people who looked at my work like my work. I saw, I saw um, I heard you talking about your self-portraits because obviously you've done a lot of self-portraits. Your most recent um, Archibald portrait is really interesting. It's called Numb to Touch Self-Portrait. Uh, it's doing, it's travelling around the country as we speak. Uh, it's a beautiful work. Um, and it's really interesting because uh, it's, it's a portrait of you. you so it's, a waist, it's waist up. You're staring out at the viewer, but you've got your your hand um, up as if you're pushing against, you know, an imaginary surface that's in front of you. But it's not an imaginary surface. Well, sort of not an imaginary surface because mm-hmm. it's encased in an amazing perspex case. So it looks like you are pushing against that case. Yeah. Well, there's actually, I mean, the case was to reinforce the fact that she's pushing against something because I, I knew that, like, viewers would probably need... Like, people, I, I, it was, she's actually pushing against the surface of the painting itself. Mm. So, so I mean, that's why I encased her in Persix, because I thought it would be a good way of reiterating that. But it was, you know, it, for me, if the painting isn't framed, she's still pushing against that surface, which mm. is the surface of the painting. Yeah. So it's just reinforced by the Perspex. Where, and that's also a means that I could have a floating, because, so when I painted that work, um, it was, uh, it, it's, you know, it's, it's obviously a response it was a response to um the depression um but you know it was it was basically about um you know I was relating quite strongly to um Ophelia from Hamlet like I was I was really and that sounds really weird because people don't know me and they won't understand the reason for that but um I was just reading it and I just I felt like um a, a real compassion for her and that the only power she was given by Shakespeare, from my perspective at least, was to end her life. That's all she was given by him. And and it's sort of, you know, one of the reasons why I enjoyed doing self-portraits to begin with, even though we've just debated to call them that. You know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, was that it gave me kind of autonomy over my own representation uh, um, and you know, going to art school and stuff, and you, whenever you see women being represented, unless it's like Frida Kahlo, you're seeing women being seen by, you know, the male gaze or being seen by, like, it's, it's not, they have no autonomy, they have no kind of, they have no control over there. Mm. And, and so, um, so with Ophelia, I, I was relating to it because with the depression I was feeling trapped and lost and so that's why I envisioned the figure as floating and trapped in this formless space oh, I see. Um, but also she's kind of floating in paint in the same way that Ophelia is floating in water when she commits suicide. Mm. That's why my hair's kind of billowing upwards. Oh, I see. Um, yeah, it's, as, it's almost and, as if you are lying in the water if you looked at, tried to yeah. see that perspective. And, um, and, but the mm. whole point of the hand was that, you know, in a mirror, your left hand looks like your right hand. 
because it reverses it. So it's, it's my left hand, but it looks like it's my right hand, which is my painting hand. And so oh, that hand is reaching out to the viewer from to the, to the surf, through the surface. And the whole point is that, as I've said, I try and reach out and connect with people through my work. Mm. So that was a very explicit example of me literally reaching out through my work, yeah. but only touching the surface of the painting. But that's impossible because the the painting isn't like she's not real Mm -hmm. because we're just seeing pigment and our brains are seeing that's a figure and that's a hand but it's not real Mm -hmm. so it's that 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 impossibility of that gesture that impossibility of and and that's what I was kind of struggling with at the time feeling quite um trapped and 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 that's why I was you know relating to Ophelia and and I really wanted to um I really wanted to give her kind of autonomy through my painting. So I feel like when I was making it, I was sort of saying to myself that I'm just kind of performing Ophelia and I'm giving her autonomy by letting her reach out and touch the surface of the painting to try and connect with someone. And did you find that uh, it helped you with your own sort of mental state, like actually making the painting? Um, Yeah, the, the drive to want to make it helped because um you know when you're yeah when when you're in that state you don't really you can't really do much of anything you know what i mean so it's mm. it's always um that the, the the vision of the idea of the painting helped me to mm. act on it mm. and then the action helps you to to step yes. out of it yeah that's right yeah. because I, do you find that painting if you are in a creative uh space like you are in a creative mode that there, there's less room for depression or, you know? Um, hmm, hard question. Um, there, there's less room, there's no room for depression when I'm surrounded by other artists and when I'm talking to them and being creative with them and next to them, that there's no room for that. But the problem is, you know, that there's no coincidence that the depression was also exacerbated by the fact that I wasn't at NAS anymore and I was alone and mm. working alone. Mm. And it's really hard to kind of... I engage with, you know, other artists, with, you know, your friends because you're not with them every day. And I really like that kind of, that chanceful encountering of people. I don't like when you have to make an effort to meet someone. I like it when you're just kind of around people. I suppose that's why Um, a lot of artists like being in studios with a lot of other artists. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, um, you know, I couldn't really afford it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And also you've got to find it and you've got to find like-minded people. It's not just as if... You're going to just waltz into a studio. I think that's something that a lot of artists would love to have, um, but it's hard to find. Completely. And you've got to trust, you've got to trust the people you're in the space with because, you know, like you're really, at least I'm really vulnerable in my studio space because I leave myself vulnerable so I can make failure, I can make mistakes. Mm. I can have failures. And, um, And so that's a really vulnerable space to be in. So you don't want someone in your space who won't, help you to be that vulnerable because if you can't be vulnerable you can't make the mistakes and then you can't grow the work a lot of your recent paintings in the last few years but certainly the Archibald paintings were also all all on copper yeah what do you like about it well I, I I really I enjoyed the fact that I came to it organically through my process like through trying to problem solve things I enjoyed the mm. fact that it was conductive but that it's also like I said before it, it it's vulnerable to time it oxidizes when you apply the paint to the copper 
it's you are not you don't know exactly what color it's going to end up being not completely like I have a general idea because I've been doing enough experimentation to know um but it but, will change yeah and um yeah. And, and 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 I you know it that's what that's what I that's what drew me to it because it was it was completely accidental. Like I thought when I started the Dorian Gray portraits, I thought, okay, it's just that the material itself is temperamental to time. Like it's just that I'm referencing that. And then when I started to apply um, the paint, because I was already kind of familiar with making my own painting materials, because that was really important to me to begin with. It, with my wax and resin work and where I made the panels as well and, and the pigment is pigment so mm. it's the basis of making paint, pigment and oil mm. um, so um, so I just applied some um, and by chance it was it, it just I, I, I thought am I imagining this like is this, is this actually is this actually shifting like what, what's happening and I you know and I'm wiping off sure enough it was different you know and it's, it was just mm. so exciting for me. And I ran mm. to my next door, you know, um, my the artist in the adjacent cube, you know, because at NAS you at, have, at, like, cubicle still. almost studios. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. I was like, Alex, look. Look, it's changed. And he probably <laughs> thought I was insane. <laughs> I was just so excited because I didn't realize. And so then that's what inspired that excitement is what inspired the work and inspired the the experimentation and you know there are so many times that I just end up scraping back a painting because it's all wrong and I can only get that initial reaction in the initial layers because when the oil sets it dries the series that you mentioned which was in my solo show with Dominic Mersch yeah they were um there was no paint on them they were just the the actual material that and the the, oh, yeah. the the chemical changes that the material that the metal could have when I treated it with certain chemicals so it's um and yeah, salts. I know I found so that absolutely yeah. amazing because well there I'll just briefly explain what that was that was a show called Timepiece and there was twenty beautifully tiny works on copper that was like about six centimeters by four centimeters roughly yeah. and they I think the titles were numbers what can you explain they what were. that was yeah so um I saw a timepiece as so anyone who doesn't know what a timepiece is it's a clock without hands and um I, I saw timepiece as a as a way of responding to uh, like I'd been reading a lot about um Einstein theories of relativity um in particular the philosophical interpretations of his theories and I was really interested in how it had disrupted you know Newton's idea of a regular even clock that ticked throughout the universe at an even pace you know that it replaced that evenness of time mm. with relative with relativity mm. um where time is different depending on different circumstances that I won't go into on yeah, a, yeah, even yeah. on a podcast I think I tried to read brief, brief history yeah. of time once and I didn't get very far yeah so. yeah well and, but that's <laughs> why like I, I I read I read because uh, I was writing a paper for um I was writing a paper when I was at NAS, and I was really interested in it. And I read, I, I read a lot of his, a lot of his papers. But you take, you need time you mean to Stephen process Hawking, it. Stephen Hawking, or do you no, mean Einstein? Einstein. <laughs> yeah, you actually was, read Einstein's papers. Yeah, yeah, because it was really interesting. <laughs> but it was also very, I put a bit too much in that time because it wasn't until like that was when I was nineteen that I was reading that. Mm. But um, but it didn't come into my work until the solo show with Dominic Mersch, mm, okay. because um, because with that work I was. So I thought of each painting, each little painting, um, as a, a 
representation of a unit of time. So each painting in this space hung around in this rectangular space in the gallery they all represented a unit of time but each unit was different to the other even though they were roughly the same size because the time it took to create each one Mm. that time was different for each piece but each piece was equal to the other and so I thought that it was really interesting that then it became like a clock, like a timepiece. And then when people came into the space, they were the hands of the clock because it's a timepiece without hands. And depending on which work they were looking at, that work was their present. And so people would have a different order in which they viewed time in this space. Mm. So it was all relative. So I thought that that was kind of a, a little, like it was, I was really happy because it was like a way of resolving that thing that had been sitting on my mind for what is that, four years at that point? Yeah, right. Yeah. It's really wonderful when there's no um, pressure to create a likeness, when it's just like you're exploring, because sometimes there's more truth than just specifically how you look, like even distortions that happen. Mm. And you do do develop um, like a, a, a confidence with, like, drawing and painting it's like in terms of creating likenesses it's like Mm. it's like a skill right so Mm. there is a point where you don't need to worry so much about getting it Mm. to look like someone because it will just be takes a long time i I can't believe you got to that point so quickly but anyway (laughs) (laughs) we'll leave that Um, i mean i think you might take that for granted that can be like for some people it takes a long time to get Mm -hmm. to that point but so you feel as though you're quite confident about being able to achieve that likeness and now you're sort of looking beyond that yeah well that's why that's why i've always that's why all my work has never just been painting on a canvas do you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. because I'm not interested in demonstrating draftsmanship. Do yeah. you know what I mean? That doesn't interest me. I'm interested in transforming materials into ideas. Yeah. And and I'm interested in I'm interested in the magic of that, you know, how the waxwork looks like flesh and how mm. the the copperwork just um it's changes but what I mean by that is not just the making of it but changes when it's depending on how it's lit you know depending mm-hmm. on how the light um, mm-hmm. reflects with layers of oil paint depending on how I'm, I'm interested in yeah I, I feel like you can't see yourself going back to just painting on canvas no because I never did to be honest mm-hmm. I really didn't right. I did I did a lot of drawing um because that was thinking um but um no painting painting on canvas has never interested me because um I just, I just, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, it's just, I, it, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel for me personally, like, yeah, it's not, it's not my path. Yeah. It's, um, is the self-portrait your path or are you going to move away from that? Do you think? Uh, well, what I'm moving, that's hard to answer that question because <laughs> what I'm moving to is like <laughs> a step along the same path, but it still relates just like the copper work still related to the wax work. Mm. It's um so it's really hard for me to uh, say that without giving anything away, <laughs> and I can't. And the reason why I can't give anything away is because I I really need that freedom to experiment. Yeah, and if definitely. I give anything away, then I start building expectation in one way when it may turn out to be in another. Yes, and I don't it's want... like to, it's like if you're writing a book or something, and then you you can't tell people about it because. You know, then you've put pressure on yourself straight exactly. away for it to be something. Yeah. So you do. I you do real. I agree that I think you've got to protect yourself at the beginning of a project, or even right through to the end. I suppose. Completely. Yeah. Completely. 
apart from the copper, you've also worked on marble. Yes. Which is the the the, the um, work that you won the Kilgore with. Yeah. But you have painted that from a very small... It was actually... This painting is 10 centimetres by 10 centimetres, but the actual mirror you used to paint your portrait from was like a convex mirror, so just a tiny one, which is actually smaller than that. So it must have been like yeah. four centimetres in yeah, diameter. Yeah, probably. So we're talking about... It's a miniature, basically. Yeah. This is a miniature painting. Mm. So you were saying to me you weren't painting your portrait, you were painting the mirror. Yeah. So um, I was, so I painted this work when I was doing the timepiece work. I had some marble that I'd collected a while ago lying around in my studio. Um, and, um, you know, and I was just really drawn to the material, to its, um, to its smoothness and its translucence and its, its warmth, just like I was with the wax actually. And, um, um, and so, yeah, so I, I just kind of on a whim, just for kind of some creative relief, I, I turned to it to um, paint on it um, as a, just a means of kind of freeing up my headspace with my other work because it was just, I was feeling really trapped. Yeah. And so I had this little, this little convex mirror that I also had collected in my studio and it was tiny. And uh, I just was so kind of interested in it because I was really aware with the portraits at that time, you know, I was really aware that I was starting to become aware, sorry, I should say, that I hadn't appreciated the fact that the mirror has its own role in the work, that I hadn't acknowledged, that, you know, I was doing these paintings through mirrors, you know, with mirrors, and I hadn't acknowledged that that in the work. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. because that's the nature yeah. of working from life when you're painting yourself and, you know, just realising that, we never are able to see ourselves unmediated by these lenses. And also the fact that, like, what does it matter what you look like? Like, how is what you look, how is, how is the way you look an indication of who you are? Do you know what I mean? So that in and of itself is kind of perplexing. So I thought this mirror, this little convex lens is really interesting, or convex mirror, is really interesting because um, it distorts everything. It distorts mm. my face. It distorts everything. And so it reveals the fact that that it reveals its, itself in its own distortion. Like it reveals itself to be present in a way yeah. that a mirror doesn't or a photograph doesn't. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah, it distorts because, what it's seeing. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so I thought, okay, well, this, this is really interesting. And I, I really wanted to just paint the object itself um, so that the face is incidental because I, I, I'm... I'd be really, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's not about me. It's just mm. about seeing. And, and I liked the fact that it distorted my face because it's, it's really not about my face. It's, um, it's exploring that way of seeing, you know, that we, and, and the fact that it's not, in this case, it's not evocative of who you are. It's just, because it's it doesn't even look like you anymore. Not yeah, completely. Yeah, I see what you mean. But and but then the fact because I kind of like it when things are accidental. Like like I know that I'm looking at the mirror, and in order to look at the mirror and paint the mirror, I'm there, and it kind of reflects the fact that when I was painting time, I was painting myself because the self was just at the time it was just a means of visit, seeing time passing mm, mm. and so the same with the mirror like the only way to paint the mirror was to look at it and when you're looking at it you're incidentally there as well 
So we're actually sitting like a couple of metres away from your studio. Now, when I say studio, (laughs) it is the corner of... Um, the sort of dining room, I would say, and your your area that you're working is probably like t- three meters by three yeah. meters, or maybe yeah. less actually. I think it's less. Two meters, I'm maybe. I'm pretty sure it's two meters on one way because I got out a ruler once because uh, <laughs> after the Kilgore, they asked me how big my space was, so I got a ruler out and started measuring it. And then he just was fascinated by the fact that I could measure it with a ruler. Yeah, no, I have no space. <laughs> yeah. I, there, it's a great spot, though. I mean, you've got a lovely light in there. It, it is good for the light although um it's it's difficult in the morning because you can have too much light oh right okay because it streams in does it but um it's no but it's um yeah I I work where like I live and um and I'm I'm lucky I'm very lucky that my you know my mom has let me use that corner since Mm. I graduated from NAS um I mean it's 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 tiny and claustrophobic at times and I'm definitely looking forward to spreading my wings mm. well it's I mean it's perfectly it's fine suitable. for now I mean because you've got yeah especially for the works that you've been doing exactly. which aren't really huge I was really lucky because you know people say to me oh is that why you started doing the the smaller work and I'm like no because I I did start the copper work when I was at NAS it was a decision so I that's why I'm fine with it I'm fine with being in the small space because I know that the work isn't small because I'm in a small space. Mm. I know that the work was already small Mm. and the work was small because I wanted it to be intimate. Mm. And so that's why. Um, So I'm happy with that, but I know that the work is shifting and if it shifts in a way that it needs more space, then I'll just find that. Yeah. Yeah. I have to do that. Yeah. Uh, One of the things that I think a lot of portrait painters, um, the problem they come across, and particularly with self-portraits, I think, is how to see a work that you've been working on for 20 hours with fresh eyes. Mm. Have you got techniques you use to do that? Because I presume you have the same problem. So first of all, the longest I've worked on a painting uninterrupted was like 48 hours. <laughs> um, and it was, when it you was say actually numb to touch. You mean, you don't mean. sleeping. No. Yeah. Yeah. Not sleeping. Oh, yeah. Because one of the things of the the depression dealing with was just basically insomnia. Like I just couldn't sleep. Like last year I just, I just couldn't sleep because I was afraid that when I slept, I'd have to kind of confront things in my sleep that I didn't want to think about. So I, I just kind of stayed awake. And also I think it was a form of kind of, uh, I I don't want to say like harm, but I feel like it kind of was in a way that I was kind of punishing, like not punishing myself, but like, showing myself I was strong by staying awake and working and um anyway so yeah so 48 hours is the longest that I've worked on a painting and um and can I just say that it's insane what happens to your brain when you work on a painting for that long because I I actually find for me personally that the longer I work on a painting there is a point where you need space and you need to get away but sometimes it's like long distance running and you get to that point where it's like you re, you you re, you get over that lip of, of the pain and mm. you get to that point where it's like a rush where you're just so able to run. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, it's, like, yeah. it's like the second wind sort of a yeah, thing. Yeah, and so you. the same thing happens with my my work. Like um, I get to a point where it's like all of a sudden seeing things and translating them into materials is easy. It's like my brain just like 
my brain just hyperspeeds that link in its you know uh, structure like it just yeah. it just becomes so easy to to see and to to work like it's like mm. I, the visual part of my brain that converts things just it's yeah does that make mm. sense it's well it's a bit able. like what, what what i often talk to artists about about when they what how they get into that zone of painting which just sounds exactly, exactly what the that same is. thing yeah yeah, yeah. Where you're just it's the flow you're in the flow exactly. and it's just going exactly and so if there's find, a deadline better yeah <laughs> so you find that will kick in more after an extended oh, period yeah. oh yeah because i came out of that when i finished it because i that's why i was working on it so late because i, I wanted to finish it and mm. i'm sick of waking up when i'm in the zone i become quite manic when i'm in the zone of making work like I completely relate to that Edgar Allan Poe quote where he's like, I have periods of extreme slothliness, you know, and then periods of extreme, like, production, productivity. It's like, that's me in a nutshell. Mm. Like, And when I'm working on something and I'm passionate about wanting to resolve it, it's frustrating that every morning when you wake up, your brain's different. It's in a different space. Mm. So that's why sometimes I just have to paint the night because I can't leave the the idea like if I sleep I'll wake up and it will be different it won't be the same and so I have to stick with it until it resolves itself so that's I was resolving numb to touch and that's why I stayed up and it was weird because I I got away from the painting stood up a bit wobbly (laughs) and then got Arthur my dog and I I took him for a walk and um you know mum had just come home late from work and so by chance she came along with me and I was just stopping at every shadow and I was like, oh, it's so purple. Do you not see how purple it is? Like the colours were exploding. Like all the oh, colours really? were so vibrant. It was like I was seeing everything in paint. It was so weird. Like I was so aware of colour oh, in is this everything. When before you'd gone to sleep? Yeah. So after 48 yeah, hours. Yeah. Yeah. So you're hallucinating basically. Yeah, basically. <laughs> oh, my yeah. God. It was incredible. So, um, so, but in terms of when I need space, sometimes I will, like, if it's negative if it feels like I'm going to destroy what I'm doing mm. which can happen too mm. you do need space and sometimes that space may take a week or two weeks to be honest sometimes I need to like there's a painting I showed you called um Janice mm. and I left that for months because I needed to leave it for months there's you just can't push some things because it's like your brain's catching up with you it's like the subconscious part of your brain is working it out for you and you need to just let it do its thing without putting pressure on it because pressure is like the opposite of being creative in those instances um and so in that case I leave it and I move on to other work what's your routine like would you yeah. would you do you find it hard to get started in the morning oh yeah um so Okay, so the the thing is, like I said, I, I have the, um, when I'm in that space where I'm a bit manic, where I've got a project that I'm working on, it's no problem at all. I'll wake up at like five o'clock and I'll get back into the painting straight away. Do you know what I mean? Like uh, it's, Five o'clock in the morning. Yeah, oh. like it's no problem at all. When I'm in that space, when I'm really like passionate about executing yeah. the work, yeah. it's no problem at all. Um, you know, and... and uh, but but when, you know, like I said before, when the work is resolving itself and I'm struggling to maintain the thinking patterns, it's very difficult in the morning because I wake up and it's like I'm a different person and I've got to get my brain back in. It's like mm. warming up before you do a race. I have to do the warm-ups and it takes forever to warm up the muscles on those days. It's really so I don't even get into it sometimes until 3 o'clock in the afternoon because yeah. they're really hard. Um, Does that make you feel nervous about it i mean does that do you get a bit sort of worked up frustrated yeah frustrated very, yeah very yeah. frustrated and um yeah. um very 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 frustrated um I'm trying to think of it's yeah you just especially 
you know, like with the with the slothful periods, you know, where you just need to think and mull things over and not do anything. Um, you know, for example, I've just had one of those spells after two weeks of intense work. I've just had two weeks where I couldn't do anything um, just now. Um, and it's you do struggle a lot with guilt, I think. Like mm. I, I struggle a lot with guilt when I'm in those pace phases, but you need to kind of just accept that that's a process, that you're working through things um, yeah. and, and not let that kind of... It's really easier to say than to do, but not let that get you down. Well, well, I expect also though that when you're in the productive phase, you probably work. You don't take weekends. No, I don't. I I never take weekends. Like even when I'm in the slothful phase, I'm still feeling guilty <laughs> if it's a Sunday. Like it's so hard, isn't it? Oh, yeah, when but, you're working for yourself. Oh yeah. And you're in your studio on your own. Every day is a work day. Yes. There's no break. There's no end. There's no end. It's very hard to demarcate, like to say, okay, I'm going to have a weekend. Oh, I can't. Yeah. I've not been able to do that. I mean, I have done it when, like, my mom has. So last year, I really overdid it. Um, as I was saying, like, I wasn't sleeping, and uh, and then I contracted pericarditis, which basically means a virus or something attacked the lining of my heart, and I was in hospital. Mm. Um, and so I was really unwell, and. Um, I had basically been managing the depression not through my work but through exercise, swimming. That's a really good way of managing it. And I couldn't mm-hmm. do that anymore with pericarditis because you're not supposed to um, until they assess whether you have any scarring around your heart. Mm-hmm. Um, I was lucky I didn't have scarring. Um, mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, it, without the exercise, the depression gets worse. Anyway, mm-hmm. I'd been overworking it and the mum ordered me. She was like, you're not allowed to do anything for the next month. And so on those instances where someone who you kind of respect orders you not to do anything, it's, it's, it's easy not to feel guilty. I feel like I just need to be ordered to <laughs> you like take a permission. break. You're given exactly. Permission. Isn't that funny? Exactly. Isn't it? But you don't give yourself permission. No, I don't. Exactly. Yeah. Too hard on yourself. Yeah, you're very hard on yourself. But, yeah. it's, it's, I'm sure it's a common, common story. Well, Natasha, it has been such a pleasure being here today and with Arthur the Cocker Spaniel. He's the most gorgeous dog I've ever seen in my life, except for my Next dog. Yours, yeah. He's called Merlin. He's which called Merlin. Which really <laughs> Arthur and Merlin, named after the same TV yeah, show, yeah. weirdly. Um, and I just love seeing your studio as well. And you'll be, oh, I'm so lucky to have seen your works, the return from the Archibald. Yes. I just can't believe it. They're so beautiful in real life. I can't believe that they just arrived before you came, like a week before you came. I no, it's such good good luck for me. Um, and it's so good to hear your thoughts on painting and art. So thank you so much and good luck in Paris. Thank you. It was my pleasure. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Natasha Walsh. I cannot believe she is 24. I took some video of Natasha in her studio, which I'll get up onto the website and YouTube channel and social media soon. Also, go to the website for links to things we talked about on the show. Thanks for listening and hope you can join me for the next episode of Talking With Painters. That's why I pick materials that resist control because, you know, I I find it... I'm a perfectionist, you know, and and the trick is learning when to let go, and so that's why I pick materials that force me to let go.